You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Hey, I'm Joe, and I'm a composer and a musician. That's why we call you the maestro. And I'm Will. I'm a literal doctor. But don't trust this guy with your ailments. No, I study comic books, but it still counts. We're a couple of creative kids who host a podcast called Common Creatives. We dig deep into filmmakers, musicians, books, and characters, really all types of artistic works and the people who make them. We break apart the art we love to see what makes it tick. Basically, we give you the definitive take on whatever or whoever we're discussing. All opinions are definitive and final. So check out Common Creatives wherever you listen to podcasts. Greetings, meine Damen und Herren. Willkommen zu the Pickling Boot Shop. I am your host, Chris. Today I will do disclaimer. First, I drink only Wasser. What do you want to make of this? I don't know. Also, we get playfully racist again. Insiders, we talk about how they had health insurance. Steve Taylor, freaking smooth. We spell it S-M-O-O-V-E. Smooth. Steve Taylor. I refuse to do another Brave Saint Saturn album. What do you care? Also, we talk about bat winging, testicular torsion. And Lou from the Ephesus cannot evacuate his bowels. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode nine of the Joe and Reese's Pickle and Boot Shop, a diabolical brainwashing machine. Reese, what are you drinking? I'm drinking water. Oh, you switched to water. Yeah. Oh. I'm crazy right now. Yeah, you're getting nuts. I uh, I, I cracked open a Michelob Ultra, another. Um, ladies and gentlemen, when you're listening to this, Reese and I have had to break today up a little bit to mm-hmm. record. So we actually recorded the second part of the podcast earlier. So earlier I drank my first and second Michelob Ultra, but now we're recording the first part. And this is now going to be my third and fourth. Oh man, that but, makes me want a Michelob Ultra. Yeah, you should. I think we need to get sponsored by Michelob Ultra. For real. Just a fantastic light beer, 2.6 carbs. Man, it's so good. 95 calories. And it tastes good. Yeah. Schlitz malt liquor does not taste good. Yeah, Mickey's, Crazy Eye. Keystone Ice, if you're listening. Oh, I I have a friend. Her go-to is Keystone. 
she hates her liver. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know what? What have you ever done? Yeah. What have you ever done for me? me alive? Screw you, liver. What have you done for me lately, though? Yeah. Um, you know what I want to do? I want to get rid of of these. Of and and ladies and gentlemen, you can't see me. I'm pointing to my headphones. Uh So when I look at Reese, I'm seeing him on the screen and I see me on the screen. And I can't stand, like, I feel like I'm distorted. I feel like maybe it's just me, but I feel like my nose is absolutely gigantic from this Uh camera. And then, you know, obviously the things get moved closer to the camera. They they appear bigger. So I feel like my nose is huge. But I hate how I look. I get very self-conscious seeing myself with these. So I tried to bring home my, like, I have my my Beats by Dre. Yeah. And so I had them connected earlier, like Bluetooth, but it wasn't, it wasn't like coming in good. I have to figure it out. I have to get it. So where my sound is coming through with that. And then hopefully that makes me feel better about myself. Also, it'll make you cooler to rappers. Yeah, totally. But I think these are like first generation, like the first generation beats, like the, the, the like little ones that you put in your ears. They're not like the noise-canceling iTunes. Oh, yeah, you got a pair. Oh, yeah, you got a pair. Oh, I feel special now. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you guys, uh, this is episode nine. And so we are talking booking today. And I'm not talking about running fast. Do you remember saying that word like growing up? Like, dude, that guy's booking. (laughs) I feel like I still use that. (laughs) Dude, that guy's booking it. (laughs) And uh, so we're going to talk about booking today and how that all started for us and getting shows and, and kind of signing with, uh, you know, people like handing that off, letting other people book our shows. And then, you know, hopefully as we talk about that, we'll talk about some promoters. Now, a long time has gone by. I mean, I can only remember a handful of promoters. I could probably describe more than I actually know by name, but we'll talk about some and some of the places we played you know, whether, whether good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. But, uh, had a lot of same places. <clears throat> yeah. And but, some uh, of them are still functional, which is yeah. great. So who, who did your original booking? Originally. So when we first started, it, it would just be, it would just be us. People would call us and we'd, we'd book with people or like, no uh, one, no one specific. Like Brad could, could book a show. Keith could book a show. It was Keith. Yeah. It could be anybody. Cause I remember Brad booked a couple, Keith booked a couple. It would just be whoever. Okay. You know? And then there were some promoters in town and they would just call us. So, yeah. Hey, what are you guys doing this weekend? But, um, once we got on five minute walk, it was Frank, Frank Tate, the owner just took it over. And so he had previously been the manager of the of the prayer chain. He was? Yeah. Frank was Tate crazy. was a manager of the prayer chain? Yes. Because Tim Tabor from the prayer, ch- prayer chain was our manager, I and know. I never knew that. It's crazy and incestuous. But wow. yes. Yeah. So uh, th- that was Frank's foray into music, and I think – before that, you know, he went to Oral Roberts University. He was already a millionaire when he went there. Dude, he's this is crazy. Frank is an orphan. So really? He was an orphan. He lived in the foster care system. And 
made a million bucks before he graduated from high school. Are you serious? Yeah. Let's get into that. How did he do this? So this is the legend is that Frank, he's Frank is very smart at just any, any day. Could you imagine being his foster parents and like you're fostering this kid who's just making money hand over fist. Yeah. Or being anyone's parent where you're just like, well, I guess we're having Thanksgiving at your house. (laughs) Right. Right. We don't have to pay for college. Jeez. Yeah. So he, he just, he's good at looking at things and being like, here, here's what I would do to make that better or fix it or make it pay for itself. So he grows up in Walnut Creek, California, notices Walnut Creek is like a kind of uppity suburb, uh, like East San Francisco Bay suburb. So San Francisco's uppity. It's got a couple nice suburbs that are on the peninsula. And then once you hit Oakland, it's ghetto. Okay. So you get to Walnut Creek. And then it, I, I don't want to say that now, but like when he was young, it was that way. Now okay. it's like everything is too expensive. But so Walnut Creek, it's like in the hills and it's pretty and a little bit uppity. So this is where he lived as a foster kid. And what he noticed was the gentlemen and ladies that were providing lawn care or the, those uh, services were vastly, this is going to come, this is again going to come across as playfully racist. <laughs> I'm not trying to be, and I'm no. not trying to further any stereotypes, but like Frank noticed that mostly it was Hispanic people. And Frank just said, well, these are up, upper class white people, middle to upper class white people. I wonder if I could get a bunch of my white friends from school. We could wear khakis and nice polos and do their yard work for twice as much. Million bucks. Really? Yeah. So I don't know what year in high school he started that, but he graduated as a millionaire. This is the this is the myth, and I believe it to be true. So he went Holy to Oral cow. Roberts. And then to make money, he was like, I want to put on shows. So he's in Tulsa. It's the you know, the buckle of the the bible belt so they had a lot of sandy patties coming through and a lot of gaither trio uh, and stuff yeah but like there was no nobody putting on edgier rock stuff and frank had his money to put up and he could you know he could pay for venues and figure out how to you know how to get somebody to run sound and then he started putting on shows and i guarantee you he there's probably some shows he he lost money on, but I would say overall he probably probably walked away from college with another million. Oh bucks. my word! And then managed the prayer chain because probably they they had come through and and played, and you know Frank's a good guy, so he talked to him and found out they had crappy management or no management or a bad record deal, and then he just took them on. Wow! Yeah. So he managed them. And That's then crazy. When we went to Five Minute Walk, he he just took over our booking because we didn't have a booking agent. We didn't have a manager. We talked about this before. We we didn't have a manager in Five Iron because there was too many of us. No. Uh-huh. And we were okay at doing it ourselves. So we just never 
saw the point in paying somebody to do it. Like a good yeah, manager I get that. takes yeah, like a, a great manager is like, hey, I know a guy who works for Conan O'Brien. I'll get you on there. I'll get you on Letterman. You know, I'll I can I know <clears throat> I'll get you endorsements. Like, right. I know three hundred DJs. I'll get them to play your record. They push you. You know, and so for us, the people that were coming to us would be like, well, I can I can get you, you know, this much a night at, and, you know, you play this church and this church and this church. And we're like, we're already doing that and we're making twice that. Yeah. Or they'd be like, yeah, we'll get you an RV. And like, at what cost, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, See, we, we were the opposite. We were like, okay. we don't want to do that stuff. Like people like Nate. Well, we I, we could go through the insiders when we get to that booking, but just as far as like management, we we were like very bad at being professional. Yeah, and so that was like you guys are goofy. You guys are known as like a goofy band, but when it came down to like business practices, like you guys could flip the switch, and like you said, you guys could hammer out and you could make your own calls. For us, we had guys in the band that would do stuff so by the book. And when I mean by the book, I mean biblically that we had guys in the band that like didn't want to make decisions because, you know, uh, we were, for instance, we were in a bad record contract. So we, yeah. we wanted to sue to get out of our contract. It wasn't, let me clarify. It wasn't that we were in a bad contract. The company that owned our contract went bankrupt Sure. So we were like, all right, well, you went bankrupt. We're going to sign with another record company. And they were like, no, we'll sue you. Like, we still own your contract. And we're like, yeah, but you're not a company. This makes no sense. So we had a, a band member who he was like, no, the Bible says we don't sue our brothers. Right. So like that was like a hard stance that like he took. So it was like weeks and weeks of weeks of like trying to be like, Hey man, like here's the deal. Like this isn't biblical times. This isn't like this, this, these are different times. And so it it calls for like different measures. Did you sue them? Yes. Or did you just get a lawyer that was like, here's where you breach the contract? No, them out. no. Oh, wow. So we got, um, so basically we got Tim Tabor as our manager We got um, lawyers in like Nashville, I believe, and they started going through everything. And then as our our lawsuit was moving forward, that's when KMG swept in. And KMG Uh. swept in and was like, listen, we're going to buy out Gumshoe. We're going to buy out Gumshoe's catalog. We're going to buy out your contract. But to do that, drop the lawsuit. So we were like, okay. Like it, it was that simple. So yes, we... All we want to do is make make albums. So you whether did, it says gumshoe, not, uh, ab- yeah, abuse the words of this of Saint Paul. Correct, correct. Good, good job. Yeah. So, but like that was our problem. Is so we had guys in the band that were like wanted to live by like old school like Judaic law or whatever, and then you know we had other guys that like Kyle, who our guitar player was like so aloof and he was so like a don't tread on me um introvert that like his decisions were like based solely on him 
and mm-hmm. not, at, you know, so when it came time for like the band and we were like, Hey, I think we're going to get insurance for the band. Like, you know, everyone will have health care. He what? was like, yeah, you got that. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. Man. Yeah. So we were like, you know, let, let's do a healthcare thing. And a friend of ours who was like in that industry. So we were like looking through like our options of like, you know, well, how much are we going to pay? What do we need? What kind of coverage? And then like Kyle was like, no, I don't want to do it. Just give me that money. And then if something ever happens to me, you know what I mean? Like I would rather pocket that money. And then if something happens to me in the future, I'll figure it out. Whereas the rest of us are like, no, I kind of want insurance. Sure. You know, so it was always something like that. So what we needed is we had so many different personalities that were coming from so many different angles. We weren't a unified We've never been, even to this day, we're not a unified front. Um, each guy in the band like has their own set. I don't want to say same set of beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, every guy who's in the insiders is it was still a believer, you know, and but it's how they they come at that and and what topics you talk about. They may, you know, we all differ kind of on, on different topics. Yeah. But everyone believes in Christ. And so that's where we needed a manager. We needed someone to come in and be like, okay, I understand. I hear what you're saying there, but for the band, this makes sense. And it was kind of that outside, you know, personality that, that each one of us believed in. So like Tim Tabor was that guy that we believed in where we could say, if he's telling me this is the way it should be, I maybe need to rethink that. Like if I have six band members that are fighting me on this, but I feel like I'm taking a stand on something. Mm-hmm. Maybe that manager needs to tell me like, this, this isn't where you need to take the stand. And so that, that's what Tim did for us. It's like Tim kind of took all these type a personalities and said, I understand what you're saying there, but for the band and for this ministry, that's not like, I mean, in blunt words, like that's not right. Like maybe yeah. you can do that on your own. And when you're making decisions for your family, like you could stick by that, but this is a ministry and this is a business and this is a band and you can't take that stance here. And so we needed him to do that stuff because we were too dumb. No, I, it's not cause you're too, too dumb. I think, I think most bands, especially if you have seven or eight or nine people in your band, you need, you need that. At least somebody in your band has to do it. Or you need a manager. Yeah. In our in our band, we had Keith, who was just this great. Um, he he was really good at just at, at being a neutral kind of diffuser. Not really like he, he didn't really diffuse it, but he would just kind of get everybody like to calm down. So like Dennis and Scott and I, who would get really emotional about stuff, he would just be like, "Okay, well." we can talk about that, you know, later, or what you're saying is this, let's focus on, on this first, and then we'll get to that. Not that it's not important, you know, like, and, and he, he was great for that. So now we're together again and, and we've all kind of mellowed out cause we're adults and we have kids and jobs and families. We still sometimes, I, I don't want to say sometimes all the time could use Keith, yeah. but, uh, like but even we, in your day to day, yeah. Just like you just need you, like right now. It'd be great if Keith was just sitting there and we could like go totally. to him. Totally. Yeah. In our band, it was it was Nate. Like Nate was the 
the leader yeah. of the insiders. Mm-hmm. And so when it came to early on bookings, like it was n- none of us, I think occasionally someone would be like, Hey, a guy, you know, a guy I know asked if we could play this or, you know, my church asked me if we could do a set like on Sunday morning, do like a couple praise and worship songs, something. So every now and then like somebody would, but we would go to Nate. So we would say, you know, we wouldn't just tell the guys, Hey, I booked a show at this church, we would yeah. go to Nate and we would say, Hey, this guy asked me about this. And then Nate would call that person and like set the show up. But Nate did all of it. When we started, he was, I mean, he was calling people, uh, you know, this is back before cell phones. And I mean, he yeah. was, he was just burning up phone lines, you know, wherever he was, if he came over to my house, you know, Hey, can I use your phone? He's calling people and <clears throat> excuse me, like he hit it hard. So Nate was our first booking agent and you know kind of for for the local stuff yeah and he did great yeah Yeah. and then what we did is he would book around here and we got a couple outside gigs we 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 got some in milwaukee and cleveland and chicago and then the scene started getting like huge here in detroit and i think i've talked about this on prior podcasts but this guy named tony weatherly who who recently passed away and uh, I know he impacted a lot of people in the Christian music scene that that came through the Detroit area. Yeah, all of us for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so, so Tony and his wife Linda, they would uh, they started this club called the Fringe out of a out of a church, and this this club just it was that right time. It was that '90s. Christian scene that that happened at the right time and and he started bringing bands the the first one I ever went and saw was it was a uh, plank guy and seven day Jesus on tour I'm sorry I take that back I went and saw strong arm and Zayo yeah and then at the strong arm and Zayo show I got the flyer for plank guy and seven day Jesus and then we would see the shows go from I mean, honestly, I think the seven day Jesus or uh, I'm sorry, the Zayo show strong arm. I mean, I think there was 12 kids there and like me and Nate. What? Yeah. I think like me and Nate were two of them. And I think if you, I think if you advertise that now, it, it, there'd be thousands of people. Yeah. I agree you with see you. see strong arm and Zayo. Yeah. I agree with you. Jeez. And so they, there was like 12 of us there. And then I get the flyer for plank eye and seven day Jesus. And we go there and then there's like 40 people. Uh-huh. And then Nate started talking to Tony and he's like, Hey, we got this, you know, it's got the ska band. And finally like Tony let us play or like open for someone and boom, it hit. And that's where I think we talked about this, like in a prior one, like that's where yeah. we started getting bigger. And then I'm standing in line to like, get in to see um the lost dogs you know and and standing in line and i'm getting like waved up like no 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 you're the you're the lead singer of the insiders you know come on in and like at that point it was like the insiders became almost the house band for this club called the fringe and tony he was in charge of all that and so then tony became our first like manager slash booking agent and he kind of took that over from Nate. Nate, you know, Nate was then able to more concentrate more on the band and practice and, you know, just life because yeah. Tony was now using his 
connections across the country with his buddies that were promoters. And we went from like playing Detroit, Cleveland, Chicago, Milwaukee, just that circuit over and over yeah. to like, then we're playing Indianapolis and we're playing Louisville and we kind of branched out from there. What, what point did, were you guys still booking? Like was Keith still doing the booking when you guys were doing that? Or did you guys move out when it like more, when it went to five minute walk? Yeah. Once we <coughs> hit five minute walk was when, when, when we moved out. You know, we we had played shows. We had played just through people contacting us and Keith doing the booking all over Colorado. You know, a couple Wyoming shows, Albuquerque. I think we had played in L.A. Yeah, I, I think I talked about this. We we oh, we went out with, and it was just bands we were friends with. So like, we were friends with. Uh, Crud. What is this band? It wasn't the Skeletons. Somebody had tipped us off a place to play in Tempe, Arizona. So we played out there and we played in LA because we were friends with this band, Meal Ticket. We ended up playing the CD release party for Save Ferris. Okay. And then, and then, you know, like probably two months later, three months later, we were signed. And then, by the time Frank was booking us, like I, I think we played Denver. Our album had not come out, but there was um, two of our songs on a five-minute walk sampler. So we we played Denver, and then the next show was the New Earth Coffee House in Kansas City, which I'm sure you've played. It was that old yes. church. Yep, so cool in the basement of that old church. Yeah, that's that's where I met Kalise. Yes, that's and, where Kalise was, and had a had a great friendship with her and she was one of those again we you know you just talk about going to different cities and in fact we've talked about her on past podcasts Khalees, dude like chill out you're 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 getting into too many conversations here on the podcast this is becoming Stop about you it. it's becoming about I, uh, you i'm facebook friends with her she just moved back to kansas city oh did she yeah. I, I don't think I am friends with her cuz i i think i told you i i was an absolute jerk to her I will tell her to listen it. to the podcast. And, yes. I mean, the diabolical brainwashing machine. Yes. And then she will realize that she harbors no ill feelings about you. And or the opposite. Then she, then it confirms, and then she Probably. hates me even more. I don't, I don't think so. She's not a hateful person. She's very But kind. But she became, she kind of became one of those people like that. She wasn't in a band, but she was always associated with bands. And yeah. I mean, at Cornerstone, she, she sang with us on stage and she yeah. became like a, you know, like I, it's, it's uh, like the word that wants to come out of my mouth is groupie, but that's not, you understand, like, that's not what I'm saying. Like she wasn't a groupie, but she was one of those people that were like plugged in with like every band that came through Kansas city. And she was such an amazing person that like, even the bands, like if you played within three hours of Kansas city, you knew the police would be there. And so yep. we knew like when we were coming through, Oh, are we playing Kansas city? Yeah. Are we playing St. Louis or, you know, whatever the case may be, we knew that we could look out in the audience and, and Khalees would be there. And then she would show up early and like hang out with the bands and stuff. It was awesome. Like she was an awesome person. And I, I ruined that and destroyed that. Cause I was a young idiot. Terrible. Yeah. Um, so Kansas city was the first yeah. thing that you're like your first gig that you got out from like your normal circuit. Right. So it was the first one. 
I think outside of there that Frank had booked and one, we were just impressed to be playing in Kansas City and it was packed. It was sold out. We only had two songs out, which is insane. And we were headlining. So I don't remember who opened for us, but we were just like, this is going very well. <laughs> we got in. It was already like ceiling was dripping sweat because it was so humid and people were. Yeah, that was a hot place there. to play. Yeah. And so we we were like, we're going to start playing a flowery song because this is what we're going to, you know, this is out on the sampler and people know it. So we played it as our first song. And all of a sudden, like, you couldn't hear me singing because the crowd was singing so loud. Nice. And I just remember turning to Keith and Scott and they almost stopped playing. Like, they were flipping out so bad. They were just like... <laughs> What is happening? How do these people know this song? And and um, and ever since then, people have known my songs better than I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but man, it was it was cool. And then like that that whole tour was kind of like that. And it was just I think Frank did the booking for the other bands that were on Five Minute Walk. So it was um, Model Engine which was Black Eyed Siva yes. at the time. And then uh, Dime Store Profits. Oh, yeah. And Seven Day Jesus and us. Yes. Yeah, all, all those bands used to come through the fringe, like before yeah. the insiders were big. Like we were seeing Dime Store Profits. We were seeing Black Eyed Siva, like all those guys. Yeah. Frank, he, he I mean, his, his business model for being as good of a businessman as, as he is like his, his model of just picking bands based on how he felt their heart was or like what their, what kind of people they were. It, it should have failed, but it, it did, it did okay. And it was really good being on that label, you know, yeah, just I talking mean, I, to you, we, we complained about it tons, but just hearing your stories of being on all the labels that you were on, yeah. Really makes me thankful for Frank Oh, abso Tate absolutely you guys were. I mean, you know, we've talked before, like I always, you know, I'm one of those people that I wish I would have been on Tooth and Nail or at least been able to do a couple of albums on Tooth and Nail. I mean, in the same sense that like I wish I could have been on Epitaph or yeah. uh, Fat Records, you know, to be able to do an album here, just to be able to say that you were. And Five Minute Walk was always one of those, like, they were one of the, we always thought that you were extremely lucky. Now, nobody ever said anything bad about Five Minute Walk. I've never heard Five Minute Walk bands, uh, like nothing. Even the stuff that you were like, you know, I can't, I can't think off the top of my head, but even if what you just said where you've complained a few times, again, your complaints are nothing compared to like what we went through. Yeah. And we just, we just had crummy deal after crummy deal after crummy deal and and then we get like Tim Tabor and Tim's trying to like help us through all of this. And there were times where we we're like, no, Tim, you work for us. This is the decision we're making. And he's like, okay. all right, like I work for you guys. That's what we'll do. And then it would like come out that we, you know, signed the wrong deal that we went with the wrong, you know, label or whatever the case may be, you know, and then a lot of stuff we were just locked in 
contractually anyway. And, and Tim couldn't really help us in, in those situations, but he was still like the yeah. best management manager in those situations. But yeah, man, I, I look at bands and I'm like, I would have loved, like, I would have loved to have been, you know, the super tones where you're on tooth and nail. And then you go to, what was the other one? Sarah Bellum or something. Yeah. Sarah Bellum was, it was still five minute walk. I think. Oh yeah. Sarah, Sarah Bellum was five minute walk. What was the other so, tooth and nail? The other tooth and nail labels. Yeah. What was the one that super tones oh, went to? There you go. BEC so recording. Yeah. I think, I don't know if they got di different distribution or they're just trying to branch out to, to like reach a wider audience. Yeah. Cause they had solid state for their metal stuff. Yep. If up rock for rap. Oh, I didn't know and about that. And there was one like plastic music for, uh, like for synth stuff, like Ronnie Martin. Okay. So plastic music. And then they had BEC, which was more of their mainstream thing. And then Tooth and Nail was like the edgy alternative one. Yeah. Like I would have, I would have killed to have been like the supertones that were on Tooth and Nail and then BEC. And then they just cruised that their like whole career. And then same with yeah. you guys. You know, you guys did, didn't you guys do a release on Asian Man? Or was that a split seven inch? It, it was just a seven inch because okay. we were friends with Mike Park. But okay. I can tell you, so as much as you're glorifying Tooth and Nail, and I don't want to talk crap about them because I've been on Tooth and Nail twice. We did the second Brave Saint Saturn album on Tooth and Nail, and then our last uh, Engine of a Million Plots, the last Vibrant album, was distributed by Tooth and Nail. Really? And I didn't know that. Yeah. So Tooth and Nail is a great company, really great people, but I just don't think they had the resources to push all their bands. So no, what I, they did was just yeah. sign, sign, sign so many bands because they got they had it automatically. You know, they had producers. They had like uh, Aaron Sprinkle that could produce everything and record everything for like a set price, and it was cheap. So they could just crank out albums and recoup that. No, and, I agree with you. I think where my ego takes over, and I'm yeah. not a very ego egotistical person at all. But I think when it came to the insiders, I was so proud of the musicians that I played with. Yeah, like you I, guys are, you guys were great. Like I, you yeah, should have been proud. Yeah, I, I was not like I was garbage. Like I couldn't sing. I my lyrics are not deep. They're not, not anything. Like not good. That's not true. But I played with amazing musicians. If they would have had a better singer songwriter, they could have been amazing. But back to the thing with with Tooth and Nail, I think where you, when you pump out a bunch of bands you sign when you pump them out i think that's where it comes down to the band and if the band is worth their weight and you know in salt or whatever the the, the term is i think the cream rises to the top and that's where yeah. i think that like if the insiders would have been on on tooth and nail that's where my ego takes over and i'm like well we were a good ska band not great but we were a good ska band and we had a great work ethic we're great musicians, again, minus me. And I think if we would have had the strength of that backing, that's where I think like we could have, I think we could have stood out on a on a tooth and nail or a five-minute walk. Right. I think we could have, you know, I think we we could have made a better impact in the scene, but it, but we're always on these like stupid record labels, these crappy record yeah. labels that you know, we're just looking to make a dollar and, oh, well, we'll get the Scott band and we'll do this and we'll do this. And then how they market us and then 
how we want to write songs and they're telling us that we can't, you know, it's just stupid, stupid stuff. Hey, Pickle Peeps, if you are looking to support the show with a little bit of swag, a little bit of, you know, oomph in your community, you can go to our Bonfire site. Uh, go to bonfire.com, put in the search Pickle and Boot Shop, and we have various styles of shirts that you can pick on different kinds of shirts. I think you can, that's the way the site works, is I think you can get it put on like a hoodie, or you can get it put, I think that's how it works. But anyway, we have a bunch of shirts on there, different prices, things like that. So check us out, uh, order that stuff. Help us rep the show. Tell others about it. And again, that's bonfire.com and Pickle and Boot Shop. So like on Five Minute Walk, our experience was that we, you know, I'm, I'm sure if you talk to Drive or Model Engine, some of the other bands, the Echoing Green that were like on Five Minute Walk, we we were paying the bills because Scott was big and we were selling albums. So we got a lot of attention, you know, and it wasn't like we had a huge label with a ton of bands, but f- like far and above, Five Iron was paying the bills. So we got a lot more attention than the other bands. And I And I know from talking to those guys that some of them resented it. And I and, and so for me being on the other side of that signing Brave Saint Saturn to do our second album to Tooth and Nail, absolutely like I wanted to I wanted that album to be huge. I wanted people to be like, man, this is really good, good lyrics, and love love these songs, and and it would just get big, and and Tooth and Nail would kind of foster that. But Tooth and Nail wasn't like that. They didn't have the equipment. So they would just sign bands, and if some bands started rising up to the top, like if by some chance the band was doing well, they had enough resources to invest in that. But otherwise, they just hoped you'd recoup and do most of the work by yourself. So like yeah. for Brave Saint, we played maybe three festivals, four festivals. It was it. You know, it was – if I was a better musician, I think – Keith and Andy and and Dennis could have pulled it off. You know, like we we would just be like, yeah, do you want us to play the show? Yeah, of course. We'll do that. But I'm not very good at playing guitar. And we were playing to tracks. We had to play to a click. All these things that that are weird if you're not practicing all the time. Yeah. So have it ever, ended up. Oh, go on. What? No, oh, it just ended up being really hard to do. And so like for that model for Tooth and Nail where – they needed you to prove that you were going to sell some records before they were going to invest some time in you. I I think that's the, I think that's the Detroit in me. Like, I think that's the Detroit blue collar. Mm. You pack your lunch and you go to work and you knock out a 10 hour work day yeah. and you know, and you, you, you come home and, and there's not a whole lot to show for it, but you get up and you, 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 you know, you bust your hump to do it again the next day. That's like, to me, that's the, that's like a business model that like appeals to me because like yeah. I said, maybe it's my ego in me. Maybe it's the Detroit in me, but like, I would have loved to have done that. Like, Hey, sign us. And we, we are going to bust our hump and we are going to do this stuff. And we are going to, you know, whereas on these other labels, it was like, we were, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know I'm being so dramatic, but it's like, we're like the, the caged lion 
where we just want to be like, let us go. Like, let us, right. let us go as, as fast and as far as we can go and just let us do us. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're young 20 year olds, like full of piss and vinegar. We want to change the world and we want to spread the gospel. Just let us go. But we were always on these labels that were like, that caged us. And they were like, Hey, this is our lion in this cage. Like everybody look yeah. at it. Like all you, you know, all you 55 year olds in, you know, in Nashville, look at, look at what we got at our label. It's like, dude, just let us go. So that's where, you know, because of what we experienced, that's why something like tooth and nail, like appeals to me. I would have just loved to have said you handle that end and we'll yeah. handle just trying to, trying to be the next super tones, trying to be the next five iron frenzy. What about when you were on squint? Was it, did you get more support or squint was one of the greatest labels I've ever been on? Like, um, yeah. Transparent, like Tim Tabor, he, he eventually like he put, so he was our manager. And then in like 2005, when we were like, we're going to come back, we're going to come out of the shadows and we're going to do soundtrack to a revolution. He was like, Oh, I'll put it on my label. And he did it for us. He put it out distributed it, all that stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't think it did great. I don't think he told us right off the rip. He's like, if you're not going to be like, if you're not going to be touring on this album, I'm not dumping money into it. So like what you sell is what you sell. Yeah. And at that point we weren't that cage line anymore. At that point yeah. we all had jobs, but we had this like little creative, you know, push within us that we were like, Hey, how about we do this album? And so he put it out for us. I'm guessing we probably recouped our money you know, nothing more, um, you know, but, but again, he told, we just wanted the album out. We just wanted to be able to do it. And so he was like, man, if you're not touring on this, I'm, I'm not dumping a dime into it, but I appreciate the honesty and it was what it was. And I think we put yeah. out a great album, but squint was an album where Steve Taylor, for those of you that don't know, you know, uh, Christian music, you know, legend, Steve Taylor You should know Steve Taylor. Yeah, you should. Um, you should look him up and listen to his stuff. Yes. Uh, so Steve Taylor was given like his own division of record label. And I, I forget. Yeah. Forefront. And so he, he puts out squint and he liked us and he approached us about, you know, coming to squint and we we were involved in this, this crummy like lawsuit and litigation and stuff like that about that contract that I'd, I talked about where, we didn't have a record label. Like they had gone bankrupt. They weren't doing anything yet. They weren't releasing us from our contract. So somehow Steve Taylor, I still don't know how all this works. Steve Taylor somehow was able to talk to whoever owned Gumshoe and say, and then I think KMG was buying it. But so they were like able to go to like KMG and say, Hey, could we get the, the insiders for one album? just a one album release. You guys aren't ready to put out an album. We don't want their, their momentum to die. So let us put out this album. And then when all this is done with you guys, then you can put out their next album and they'll probably be ready to put out an album at that point. So that's what KMG did. KMG, KMG Gumshoe. They allowed us to do one album with Squint. And so that was our Scalleluja album. And it was amazing. It was not only did we feel like we were part of like 
a real record label. Like we felt like we were part of like a wealthy label that like had all the tools in their tool belt. And like, I just remember like Steve Taylor, nobody had ever done this with me. Steve Taylor was like, I want you to go through all your lyrics that are going to be on this album with me. And so I remember like going through the lyrics and he's like, he's like, no, you can get more passion into that. Like you can change those lyrics. I want you to think. And now that I'm thinking about this, like Skyliluia was, was an album of covers, right? Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. So Skyliluia was an album of covers. And so there wasn't like a whole lot of, you know, us changing lyrics and writing songs. But during this process, we're writing, we're also writing at the time Fight of My Life, which was going to be our next album, which was going to be on KMG. And like Steve Taylor sat down with me and had me tell him, like, read off all the lyrics for our Fight of My Life album. And then here's one of the best, again, like Christian lyricists, most creative, most amazing people. Yeah. And so he's like going through all this stuff and he's like, you can do this better. You can describe this better. Like in one of our songs, um, Paradise, I'm describing what would be like an amazing day, like the perfect day. And what I had was like garbage. It was like nothing. Like that's, that's somebody's day every single day. Like that's a five out of 10 day. Okay. And he's like, I want you to give me more. Like, I want you to, to sing about waking up and like having a bird land on your finger and like dolphins jumping next to you and, you know, just go over the top. And so then like, I would do like a little bit more and then he'd be like, no, you got to do that. And so he was constantly pushing me to do, to write better lyrics, to, to do those things. No other label did that. And and then here what? we are at, and we're listening to him talk about how he's about to start production for um, Blue Like Jazz. Yeah. And like all these different things. And then he's signing Sixpence None the Richer, and they're doing amazing. And Burlap to Cashmere, and Jeez. they're doing amazing. And then you start to feel that confidence in yourself. You're like, this guy is signing bands that everything he signs turns to gold. Then he signs Chevelle. It's like everything he signs turns to gold and we're one of those bands that he signed. Like he saw in us what he saw in Sixpence. He saw in us, we saw in Burlap to Cashmere. And then you get that confidence that like, like these guys are behind us. Whereas with Gumshoe, you know, it's fighting with a dying label. It's just, you know, so that's what, that's what Squint was. So Squint was like the, it was like a kid. I mean, it was just like a kid being able to go and and you had a week that you could, you had a month that you could spend at Disney World and, and you had free passes and you had everything and you had meal tickets and you could spend a month at Disney World. And then after that, you never get to go back to Disney World. You get to go to like country fairs and you get to go to like, yeah. you know, the carnival that comes through town on, you know, with the carnies and stuff like that. That's what our labels were. Like squint was Disney world hopper passes, meal tickets, and then plus everything else. No, man, you got Steve Taylor sitting down, helping you with lyrics. Like I, mm-hmm. I have literally sat with Steve Taylor lyrics just trying to write songs like if if you uh crap what's the last song on i don't even know 
It's the last song on The End Is Here. I literally sat with uh, Steve Taylor's song, The Finish Line, and ripped it off just to write those <laughs> lyrics. Just He's such a good lyricist. Yeah. Possibly one of the greatest of all time. Yep. Um, on Distant Shores is the name of our song. And it yes. is a ripoff of Fantastic The Finish song. Line by Steve Taylor. He... He's so brilliant. And I remember this. Uh, I, you know, I did that poetry tour with Aaron from Dear Ephesus and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Lewis and Nate. And when we got to Nashville, Nate calls Steve Taylor and he's like, hey, man, I'm in town for just a little bit. Got to go hang out with Steve, meet him. I had never met him before. Like, uh, he he's from Denver. Actually, I had met him at shows, but like never met him as like, hey, I'm, I'm in this band. And so he knew who I was. It was super cool for me. And uh, he was just like, what are you guys doing tonight? And we're like, I don't know. <laughs> he gave us all tickets to go see the Predators, like to go see the oh, Predators. It was like their first year being a hockey team. It was yeah. so cool. Oh, that's awesome. So cool. And also, we were like, why can't we be on this label? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, 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 it was, it was so much fun. Like that, that label, you just felt like you were like a part of something. You felt like they knew, like everybody knew what was going on. But again, Again, I've said it a million times, we were the kiss of death. And so they had us on the label and they they ended up, you know, they survived quite a bit longer and it was probably more of a They a, had Chevelle and Sixpence. They had a there had to be some fortune in that. At yeah. least just selling them off to other labels. Yeah. And I think he, I think Squint did what Squint was supposed to do. So it, I think the forefront gave uh, Steve Taylor, like a, a label to say, here, use this as your next medium of art. And he yeah. kind of took these, these few bands and he did it and anything he touches turns to gold. So he succeeded with that. So then it was like, okay, I took these five bands and like made them great and made these amazing albums. And then we won Dove awards and, and you know, all that stuff. And then, then he was like, okay, well now I'm going to do movies. Yeah. And so That's then what when he, he went to school for. Yeah. So then when he started doing his movies, it was, I think, I don't think squint closing its doors was a, like a bankruptcy thing. I think it was a calculated move. I think it was like, okay, we've done this. We've accomplished this. And moving forward, I don't think we're going to be signing new bands and stuff like that. So I think they were just, you know what, when these, when these uh, contracts are up, we're done. And I think that's what they did. Like, I don't think they ever had like a big stable of artists. I think they had a handful. And as our contracts expired, obviously we only did, had a one record thing. So yeah. we, we basically did like a year of promotion for them. And then we, and then we were done. And then as the other ones kind of ended in two years, three years, you know, they didn't resign Sixpence. Obviously Chevelle went elsewhere. They sold Chevelle and yeah. And then I think he just went on to movies. So I, I don't think that was a, I don't think Squint was a failure. I think it was a huge success and just another, we conquered this. Let's move on to the and, next thing. And not another label that you murdered. Yeah, exactly. But then we went on to the next one, KMG, and we murdered it. Yeah. Do you want to be on my pretend label, Department of Biophysics? 
Yes. Okay. Yes, we'll put uh, out our next album on the, on that. So I want to ask you something. I was going to ask you earlier. I started to say it, and then I realized I was interrupting you. Uh, this are, is what we do. Yeah. Are you ever going to do another Brave Saint Saturn album? I don't. Brave Saint Saturn no. is one one of my favorite bands of all time. Like your first Damn Brave it, Saint Saturn, like Estrella, Baby's Breath. Like those are like classic on like on my playlists. So like I have a playlist called Chill, right? It's just got a bunch of songs that yeah, if you just want to called Hot Garbage. Yeah, exactly. Then I have another one called uh, Screaming Butthole. But I have on my like on my Chill. I mean, it's like Simon and Garfunkel. It's Brave Saint Saturn. It you know what I mean? Like I I put that band. And I'm going to be honest Thank with you. you. I don't put like Five Iron there. Like Five Iron Five Iron's a fun band. Like you guys have, you know, a few songs off every album that I love. I love you guys as people. I love your stage show. I don't listen to Five Iron. I don't blame you. <laughs> you know, but but like it, like your Roper, like the Roper CD, I, I, I liked that. It was good. You had some good That's songs true. on there. But like that Brave St. Saturn, that first Brave St. Saturn, I mean, that to me, that's just class. I wish I could get it in vinyl. You know, I, it's funny. I can't. I can't do it on vinyl because I don't own the rights. I've got the tapes to it in the basement here. Oh, really? But uh, yeah, Tooth and Nail still has it. Oh, well, so Tooth they, and Nail sold they need it to, to Capital. It. it was CMG, which bought out Forefront, and then Capital bought them. Really? So they have that. They bought all the old Tooth and Nail catalog. Well, uh, let, let's let's save some money. Let's do a starter, Kickstarter. A Kickstarter. So I can buy, buy tapes. So, and then tapes. by buying the tapes, they get the vinyl. Yeah. I've thought about just just doing it like who's gonna stop me i'll i'll like sell what a thousand are they gonna find out yeah but... sell a thousand you'll get a cease and desist and yeah, okay why you're gonna already she already wants to divorce me so i don't need that i don't need to put that stress on her <laughs> yeah maybe you do maybe you do maybe, maybe i do hey Correct. buddy buddy i'm just saying if it ever maybe. goes south we can buy a house me and you, right. buddy. The pickle and boot right. shop. Pickle and boot shop in the front, <laughs> business in the rear. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've thought about, I've thought about it because I enjoyed writing that stuff. It's just hard to do. Because isn't that still what you're doing? Like you're still writing like synthy. Yes, exactly. So the project I'm doing now is that it's like Brave Saint Saturn heavy, but minus a lot of the acoustic stuff. Like Brave Saint Saturn, I would start out writing on guitar, mm -hmm. and then then just I'm not very good at guitar, so I would just add in like a hundred different instruments I could program. Like you know what sound good is Glockenspiel, or instead of a bass, piano. And I would just make songs that way. And now I'm writing for this new project, Heart Wrench. It's just, there's no guitar because I haven't played guitar forever. I, I suck at it and I had to realize that. So it's all synths, all programmed drums and stuff. I think uh, Ethan Luck is going to end up playing some guitar on it. So it nice. gives it some legitimacy. But um, 
I don't know. Also, it's new wave. Like it's super eighties influenced. Yeah. Um, well, if you need a, a punk style bassist, like just do 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 I'm in. Okay. I have uh, I have a song that yes I think I do. I'll come on stage. I'll tour with you guys. Come on stage for uh-huh. one song. This is what I love about it. So in Brave Saint Saturn, what made it hard was I would write most of the stuff, but then I had to go to Keith and Andy and Dennis for legitimacy, and and be like, okay, what do you guys think of this? And they kind of add their own flavor in, and it would make it a better thing and dennis would do a couple songs and his he's a really good songwriter so it would be good and we kind of push each other but mostly it was just me and then me kind of having to present it to everybody and get their approval and we don't like i live in the middle of nowhere in virginia i can't do that you know and so for me to write a brave saint saturn album i guess i could do it by mailing mp3s back and forth but it would just be very difficult. Yeah. But just because of geography. So I think that's mostly what's keeping it from happening. Hmm. Oh, that's too bad. And, and you know, it it was a trilogy. So it was like the story. And then what do you, what do, you do after that? And where do you, like, do yeah, I make that's true. another story? Thought about it. Andy had some good ideas. He had a good idea about, like, um, all the all, it's the, in the future. All the people are dead, and it's robots writing, and they're learning how to feel, and they discover the old Brave Saint Saturn mission tapes or something. He thought it, it's uh-huh. it sounded way better when he said it. But uh, no, that that sounds cool to me. Like that sounds great. That's great. That sounds great more for like a like a a long play like video. You know what yeah. I mean? Almost even if it's just one song, like a like a seven minute song, where that all takes place, and you're you're watching this video, whether it be cartoon That'd or be cool. you know flash flash animation or whatever. Flashing people. Flashing, yeah, just the video of flashing just, people, just bat winging people, flash dancing. Yeah, yeah. Wait, but, wait what is bat winging? <laughs> bat winging is where you take your testicles and and the skin and you pull it, so it looks like a bat wing. <laughs> I just want to say that. <laughs> Joe and I still consider ourselves to be Christians. Yeah. <laughs> There's the, I'm I'm sure Jesus and 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 this his is, disciples were screwing around doing that stuff. I'm like, sure that he, like hey yeah, look like, at this one guy's bent over with his nuts back not, bulldogging him. They're looking in the book and they're like, well, he, Christ did die for this. Yeah. He's bat winging. It's in the list. <laughs> it's in there. All right. It's in there. It's in there. Fine. <laughs> oh. we gotta do it we gotta do we gotta it, do it. Dude, i don't want to i don't want to put too much information out there but did how much of andy's junk did you see on tour like he's he is very pro at i can't contortion i can't think of a time that i did <laughs> oh, i can't think of a time that i did i <sighs> There was one major male nudity episode that I experienced on tour. 
with Lou. And that was with Lou. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, you know, we were all a part of that. So I was in a, in a hotel room with, you know, 16 naked dudes, <laughs> which was kind of weird Be, just because we, we it literally happened. Well, here's the deal. I lucked out on it. I was fully clothed because oh, I, I was the go guy. You in and just talk to Oh, him. you weren't there? No, I was I there. You, I, I, oh, I was going to say, I thought you guys were there. And mess with him. You tell the story. Yes. So I was, I was like fully clothed. So I was like the decoy. And so I went and got Lou and I was like, Hey, you know, come up to the hotel room, blah, 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 blah. So I went and got him and we were, I were, I was like, yeah, I think we got pizza and stuff like that. So I go and get Lou from Dear Ephesus and we go back to the hotel room and he had no clue that because he had talked about being like, yeah, he was afraid of naked men, which is a good, healthy fear for anyone. (laughs) Straight people, gay people, women, kids, priests, anybody. Be afraid of naked, naked men. Let's think about this. Yeah. If a woman, any age, any body shape, streaks by your office building, you're looking out the window, and a woman yeah. streaks by, everyone's like, dang, like some girl just ran by here naked. Yeah. If a dude, any body shape, crossfitter, 12-pack abs, Runs by, everyone goes, oh, gross. Like, it doesn't matter how good looking you are. Yes. Like ma- male nudity is just, it's just nasty. Yeah. The, like a, so, the human female is quite possibly the most beautiful thing God has ever made. The human male, not, yes. not even close. Especially most of us. We're not, not good looking. even close. Not at all. No, 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 no. So Lou has, and so has I was the decoy. His, his fear. Yep. So I go and get Lou and I'm like, yep. So he trusts me and I take him back up to the hotel room. I open the door. We walk in and everybody's hiding. And there's like 15, 16 naked dudes. Like just everyone took their clothes off. Like even saying this is so ridiculous, but we were 20, 21 and we thought we were freaking hilarious. So he walks in. So I shut the door and like lock it. (laughs) So he can't get out and everybody like pops up because they had been like hiding behind the bed, you know, (laughs) and they were in the bathroom. So he gets in like the pizza box there. He goes over to like grab a slice and everyone jumps up and everyone's naked and everyone's jumping around him and like slapping him and stuff like that. And he is (laughs) like, he just curled up and like, like you see in the movies, he like curled up, was like on the floor in the fetal position, like yeah. against the wall. And he just like wanted to wash the dirty off. It was not, it was not good. No. And then here I am so like fully nakedness. clothed in a room with all naked dudes yeah. thinking it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> My, how times have changed. Yeah, now you're like, if I could just be in a room yeah. full of naked dudes. Now I was like, man, I wish it would have been the Halo Friendlies. 
That would have been much better. (laughs) (laughs) Not me. I want to be back in that room full of naked dudes. Yeah, I want to be in there with with the gospel gangsters. Yeah. Yeah. No, Halo Halo Friendlies would have been my first first choice for that um, scenario, but it wasn't. It was um, the Insiders and Dear Ephesus. And I think and squad five zero. No, it was us. We were there. Oh, and you guys, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful, oh, wonderful times. Yes. I see. I I've even blocked it out. I've blocked out that you, whole like what I saw. Have Lou on and just and have him recount. Yeah. Just, we could do a whole entire episode about Lou. Yeah. Like how he couldn't poop. Like, did you ever hear that or know that? No, I did not. Like Lou could not poop in, when I say public, I mean away from his home. Wow. He would go on a two-week two tour and he, he wouldn't poop. And That's so, really not healthy. Yeah, so like the insiders, we took like, I want to say Dear Ephesus went out on like, I want to say their first few tours with us. I think we took them out on their first tour. And so Lou comes out and... He had to, in order for him to use the bathroom, he had to be in the hotel, like in his bathroom, in his hotel room, but everybody else who was in that, that room as well had to leave and like, just give him peace and space, uh-huh. like the door meant nothing. And so the whole he band, been an only child. This is the yeah, only like way. The, yeah. Like the whole band would have to like talking to people. Yeah. They'd yep. all be in like the lobby or they'd be in like our room be, and for like an hour because he would be up there like trying to poop. It After was, he's held it in and he's got impaction. Yeah, exactly. Really good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the end of the free portion of Pickle and Boot Podcast, a brainwashing, uh, diabolical brainwashing machine. Um, Reese is going to tell you what to do if you want to become a Patreon subscriber. So, Reese, take it away. Yeah. Uh, as far as I know, you just go to the Patreon website and then you type in the Pickle and Boot Shop. That's how most people have found us. We had uh, five new Patreons this week Brock Dittis, David Swan, Willer Clowns. Steven Seberg and Daniel Rock. I want to say thanks to all you guys for, for sponsoring us. And um, you can also find us on Twitter at, at capital P, capital B, Bootshop. Uh, we have a Gmail account. It's the pickle and boot shop at gmail.com. I check it probably once a month. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we have a Facebook page. The Pickle and Boot Shop, you can reach us on there. We're trying to get better about putting content up. Yeah, and I was uh, contacted by, let, let me call him out. I was contacted by Stephen Ray. Stephen Ray is one of our listeners. And uh, Stephen said he wanted us to get an Instagram uh, account up and running. And I told him, right now, I like I do, like I have a personal Instagram account. And then uh, I do one for my my other podcast called the average jerks. And so I told him, I said, I've just, I haven't gotten around to doing it for this one because it's a third Instagram account that, that 
we would be running. Um, but I understand it's part of the package. It's part of 2021. It's part of branding. It's part of all that. So uh, hopefully in the next little bit, we'll have an Instagram up and running where yeah, we'll uh, Reese and I will. Turns loose on it. Yeah. And like we can, uh, you know, we'll be posting pictures. I mean, I don't know. Here, here's the thing, Steven. I don't know what we would post pictures of. Uh, Reese and I aren't together and the regular I'm in Michigan. He's in Virginia. Um, keep we keep taking screenshots of us doing our. Yeah. I mean, our, it, right. That's the thing. We, we like every now and then we'll take a picture of, of us yeah. like recording. Um, but other than that, um, yeah. Or it's, your Fidric jersey. My Fidric so jersey. Cool. Yeah. Fidric. Yeah. So like so maybe cool. if we were going to be talking about a topic, we could post a picture about something we were talking about or, or, you know, we talked about Tony Weatherly today in Detroit and he just passed away. Maybe we could post a picture of Tony. So you guys know what him and his family look like, but I guess we'll, we'll try and do something. Um, but it's just, it's tough. We have, we have normal jobs and then just doing this and doing all sorts of stuff, trying to do albums, trying to get a microphone company going, masturbating, um, all the things we, that keep us busy, <laughs> all the things that we put a premium on. <laughs> So you guys, uh, so if, if, if you like what you just got in the free stuff, again, look at doing the subscription. If you don't want to, that is okay. We understand. Uh, we completely understand. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I, I don't pay for subscriptions through Patreon cause I don't have that extra scratch. So it's okay if you don't, um, what I would ask is if you, uh, don't want to be a Patreon subscriber could you at least go to uh apple like itunes podcast could you go to spotify wherever you're listening to this and could you just do a review for us that would be fantastic the funnier the better the more stars the better uh, but it all works in the algorithms that if you get stars or thumbs up and then uh, comments and stuff like that it just it just kind of helps push it so if you guys would be able to do that again if you can't afford five dollars ten dollars twenty dollars fifty dollars a month i wouldn't be able to um just please at least just give us a review make it funny contact us on our facebook page pickle and boot shop um yeah anything you want to add reese i just want to say we love you guys thanks so much for listening and, for, and supporting for a cup of coffee. Really fun. coffee oh yeah the, dang it i messed that up screw you guys i don't love you it's less than a cup of coffee i messed that up too all right goodbye yep. All right, see everybody. To find out more, visit rockcandyrecordings.com.